Hey, this is Ali Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, there still can't hang. This week on Can't Hang, I hang with Emily O'Brien, a former convict who has taken her creativity and entrepreneurial nature and shifted it towards her social enterprise, Comeback Snacks. We speak about how she landed in prison in 2018, the power of family in tough situations, and how she is using her company to help those in need of a second chance. With such an incredible story, it was such a treat to speak with Emily and hear all about the good she's doing. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to Emily O'Brien. Uh, so this is definitely one of my most interesting interviews yet I would say for sure so uh, welcome Emily I've been excited to speak to you for so long so welcome (laughs) thank you so much here we are new year yeah yeah no it's so exciting obviously 2021 will hopefully bring us better things in 2020, but you actually had a really great year um, over the holidays and over 2020. So um, congratulations on that. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much. You know, it's like, you know, life is never easy, but once you go through so much adversity in your life, you, you realize that it can actually bring out so many more benefits instead of just wallowing in you know, despair. Cause like that doesn't really get you anywhere, at least in the long run. It, it does in a little <laughs> bit, like you can wallow in despair enough that you're like, you realize you don't want to be there anymore and you just have to yeah. act. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Especially right now, obviously I graduated into a pandemic. Like what's the point of just sitting around? Like, let's go. So, so obviously I've read, there's so many articles about your story and obviously you've been on really cool podcasts like Papaya podcast, but I'm so excited to hear about you firsthand telling your story. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, But I think something so important to kind of getting where you are today as like a successful entrepreneur of a social enterprise is to kind of take it right back to the roots. So by this, I kind of always try to start at your childhood and your life growing up. So did you have a fairly, you know, quote unquote, normal upbringing, would you say? And, you know, I I honestly did. Like I was never, you know, like I went through the typical things that like a lot of kids go through, you know, bullying and then just like confusion about identity and and who you are and and what you want to be and just not fitting in a box, really. Like I felt like I I did well in school, but then I, once I graduated, I was like, okay, like I know I can do this work, but do I like to do this work? And so it's like, is this work really driving, you know, my interest and my, and my passion. And, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of why I eventually ended up in in entrepreneurship. But yeah, growing up, my childhood was, was great. I had a great family. Um, You know, I I had two sisters. I was a middle child. And so some people might say, oh yeah, I have middle child syndrome. You know, that's why you're so (laughs) wild. And I don't know. I just think like sometimes you're just wild because you're just wild. Like it's just in, in yeah. your, it's in your genes. It's in your blood. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that's really funny. I actually haven't heard of that before. So that's really funny. There's like two of us in my family. So there's no middle. I think we maybe both share the, the wildness, I guess. Um, but so I guess you have a cool story. So we're going to start with this. So 
with all of this being said, so you kind of graduated, and this is something that's very close to me being from the GTA. Um, you graduated from Guelph. So a lot of my friends and uh, acquaintances and stuff went to Guelph. So I, I find it so interesting that you went there and then kind of ended up in the situation that you were in on such like a straight and narrow path when university, obviously graduating, having a great job, and then kind of things kind of spiraled out of control. So can you take kind of the reins on this story for me? Yeah. Yeah. Like starting at university. Yeah. 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 So leaving high school, like I, I felt like a little bit of pressure to kind of just like decide quickly. And I still didn't really know just because my interests always were changing. You know, there's not one yeah. thing that I always love to do. because the one interest that stayed the same was my, my interest in like being around people. So, you know, in university, being around people involved often like the binge drinking culture. And mm-hmm. this wasn't something that I saw as really bad. I saw it as something that was that was social and and fun. And sometimes you do have to get wasted once in a while. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't yeah. think like institutions <laughs> should be like, oh, we can't have drinking on campus. Because like sometimes you just, I don't know, you need to get drunk and then make mistakes oh, or, and it's for sure. And it can be, and it can be fun. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, like just because you drink doesn't mean that you have a drinking problem. And even like, even the binge drinking culture in university wasn't really like a, a problem. Like I still got all my grades. I, I still got all my good grades. And so I'm not yeah. going to be like a fun ruiner and say, Oh, like don't drink in university. Cause that's not true. <laughs> you know, um, there's a, there's a good difference between like drinking for celebrating and then drinking for medicating. And so mm-hmm. university things got, you know, a drinking out of hand, but ever a lot of people's drinking was out of hand. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, but what, as I graduated and went into my full-time work, like, the drinking just became more regular. And then I used it as kind of like an excuse for everything. You know, it became, I became so conditioned to drinking that like I, it became almost like a necessity. Like I didn't really want to go out if I didn't like have a drink or something like that. Right. So it's like, okay, are you able to do the same things drunk that you can do sober? And that was was when the the problems kind of started was like, Oh my God, now I just like, I can't go to like a networking event without like wondering where the bar is. Right. Or Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of like escalated from there. Um, and then when it all started spiraling was when I went through like a, a personal situation with my family, you know, they went through a, a pretty tough separation and, you know, even though you're, you're older, it still doesn't make you immune to sadness and feeling emotion. Mm-hmm. And this might For sound sure. like a really privileged thing to say. And I, and I realized that, but it's like, that was the first really kind of sad thing that had happened to me. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is sad. And I, I also was after I graduated and, and worked some corporate jobs and eventually went into entrepreneurship, um, the pressures of, you know, being a female entrepreneur and, and being tough and getting out there, like it makes you kind of mask everything emotional. Cause like you, there's a pressure to like not be emotional when you're a yes. woman. Right. Mm-hmm, like we're also, there's like, there's like a stigma. So I was like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. just gonna like hide everything and just like get drunk by myself. And that's when it kind of, and then, you know, the, the drug use also started and I had like done drugs in university. Like I, when I was in there, like the really good MDMA was around. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. Cause it was like, I was, <laughs> I'm not going to deny it. Like I was like, it was fun because I wasn't, it didn't yeah. make me that really drunk girl. Cause I didn't like being drunk and out of control. Like I just didn't. Yeah. And so, but I never did like cocaine in, in university really. A, Cause it was too expensive and mm-hmm. B like no one really did it. Like people did like Adderall and stuff, but not yeah. like, not like I saw, like when I moved to Toronto, like the cocaine use was just like, there's, there's a lot of it. It was almost like normalized. So. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting too, because I went to Western uh, university and I don't know if it's uh, like the, 
income level of the kids that I went to school with or what it was, but like there was cocaine everywhere. And like, I'm just like not into drugs, like on my own level, but like, it's just, I'd rather get drunk. So it's whatever, but, but I found it so interesting. And then it was just like the norm that like these people were doing cocaine, like on a Tuesday night, like going out to like a casual wine night or whatever you know what I mean so I think that's so interesting that like little bit of age difference or maybe like little bit of space difference between us um just garners like a totally different um experience in our universities so that's that's interesting yeah and there's also like the body image issue too like for Mm -hmm. girls especially like we go through a lot of like body issues and and there's a lot of pressure and so I kind of substituted my substances for my substance (laughs) right um so (laughs) instead of like eating I would be like I'll just have like vodka and like MDMA right and then you you kind of like kind of self-validate those those exchanges and then you realize that you're eventually you're dealing with like a concurrent disorder which is like an eating disorder and then eventually like you know substance substance abuse and and Mm. that can actually eventually turn into addiction for sure. Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those things that once you compound, obviously I'm speaking for you here, but once you compound those things, it's kind of, a, a you know, a double-edged sword, like you're battling two different, uh, two different issues. And how do you kind of combat that? And especially in university, it can be very isolating because it's like, you're away from your parents, like your friends, like, do you really know them that well? Yeah. It, it, I guess, depending how long you've known them, but it can be kind of isolating. So if you're kind of in that space and dealing with these things, um, I could see how that could kind of spiral. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I guess with all this being said, how did you go from this, uh, you know, corporate life where you're kind of dealing with like a bit of an addiction, uh, but not really accepting it. And then you kind of, this is where your story kind of turns. Um, you end up in an Ontario prison. So what was that in 2018? <laughs> that was actually in 2015. So 2015. 20- okay. Yes. Or sorry. No, you're right. 2018. I got arrested in 2015 now. So Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I was in Toronto. I'd moved to Toronto. I graduated in 2012. And then after 2012, when you graduate with a Bachelor of Arts degree, even if you graduate with honors, like most jobs are still like, oh, you need three to whatever years experience. And For sure. so I looked around, I worked in Indonesia, came back and, and then I took on like a sales job because I knew that I was good with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have three years experience, but like, if you're good with people, like you can kind of prove your worth within like the first sure. month. Right. Yeah. So I did that, but I was like, okay, well, like, I don't really like this field that I'm working. Like, I didn't like, I was selling postage meters and I was like, okay, well, who even uses <laughs> postage anymore? But it was a really like, right. it was like a multi, multi-million dollar company. So like they mm-hmm. did, their work did matter, uh, but I just okay. really found that it was obsolete. So, but I, and it really helped me recognize what I was good at. And that was being social and helping people also share their stories. And then, so that's when I dove into entrepreneurship and was building this business in downtown Toronto and living with my friend. And then the situation with my family happened and there, there was already kind of a party scene going on. And then the party scene went from like me going out for fun to like me staying in to like medicate myself and just deal with what was going on with my family. And, you know, I was just like dating, like, you know, living that tindered life. Cause I didn't care. I didn't want any, I didn't want a long-term yeah. relationship. I didn't want a boyfriend. I just wanted to like pardon my language, but like screw around and not mm-hmm. have any, have any responsibilities. <laughs> Cause I like, For I like, sure. I liked my freedom. Yeah. I liked my freedom <laughs> and I knew that I wasn't ready to settle down. So I didn't want to lie to myself and pretend that I was. Mm-hmm. And eventually I, I kind of realized that, you know, 
I was just going out and drinking with guys and that was not helping me deal with what I was going on personally. It was just kind of making it worse, like exasperating mm. the whole issue. And I, sure. then I met this guy through my work and, um, through my, cause I had a social media company at this point. This is like my first business It was called gather and it was doing really well. Mm. And so I met this guy through my work and he's, he, he actually didn't drink and he was, he's, he really wanted me to get on a better track and, you know, he did like nice things for me. He wasn't like, Oh, it's like, I'll come over and bring a bottle of tequila. Cause I was just like at the point of alcohol exhaustion. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I just like, don't want to party with anyone. Like I just like, so he's like, Oh, I'll come walk your dog. Like I'll hang out with you. And we did some business together too. And then these weird things started happening. Um, like he owed me money for like some of the services rendered and the checks started bouncing, started getting me all these weird gifts. And mm-hmm. I also, um, his business was like, um, buying and selling cars. And then also like painting them in like really cool ways like matte dips and stuff and okay so so he like um wanted to split a car with me and he's like oh like I'll split it with you whatever I was like okay cool so I gave him my half and then I never got the car and that so at this point I'm like okay dude like what the hell is going on like I live in Toronto like I don't have just like like I gave him 10 grand and that's not this kind of money you just throw away like that like Mm -hmm. I wasn't rolling around in cash like I I could pay for my (laughs) rent and I and I could pay for most of my things but if someone has your 10 grand, you want what you paid for. Right. <laughs> like, of course. <laughs> and so he had me kind of on this hook where I was like, I had to keep talking to him because he had, you know, my money, but I also was starting to see all these like red flags. Mm-hmm. And, um, eventually I got to a point where I was like, I was starting to get mad and he was like, okay, you know, let's just forget about, or sorry. He's like, I want to like take you on a trip, you know, like when we get back, I promise you like the, the car will be ready. And despite all the red flags, I actually believed, I believed him this time. Mm-hmm. and then he's like okay um we're gonna like we'll leave in a couple days and he told me we we're gonna go to Puerto Rico we get to the airport we're not going to Puerto Rico we're actually going to somewhere called St. Lucia which I'd never heard of in my life okay. and then and then I was like why why are we going to this random country you know and he's like oh no no like you're just drunk like I definitely told you it was St. Lucia and that's when I knew like something was really off but then again I was mm-hmm. also already at the airport my bags were packed and I, I blamed myself, but at the end of the day, that's why I did cocaine so that I could remember people's bullshit. You know what I mean? Mm. So I could, I could remember <laughs> when people were, you know, cause that's what a cocaine does. It like makes you more alert. <laughs> it makes you like not make as many poor decisions in, in my opinion, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, um, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll believe you. And I wanted to go on the trip. You know, I like, I wanted that escape and I got on the plane and it was a seven day vacation and the first three days were really fine, very normal. And then on the third day he says, okay, like we're actually here to work and you have to come in the car with me. And these people that I don't know, pick us up and they take us to a house and there's copious amounts of narcotics in the walls. And there's a lady there and she's like, thank you so much for, for helping. Um, you know what I mean? Like so-and-so told you like, you're going to be doing this. And I was like, okay, like kind of like bait and switch but then I also blamed myself for ignoring the red flags and mm-hmm. I knew that it was my fault but I was still mad at him because he'd like literally like lied to me and I and I was for in sure, another country yeah. and I couldn't get out but I only knew him so the only person that I could really trust was him you know I wasn't going to run to the authorities because you know like when you're in another situation like are they really authorities right so mm-hmm. of course yeah and, and so I just you know like accepted it um but I, I still thought by the end of the week, I could weasel my way out of it. And I, I told him, I was like, listen, I'm going to be terrible at this. Like I have no job training in this. Um, mm-hmm. But he was just so desperate that he had just like ignored my pleas to not do it. And mm-hmm. 
And then he kind of like dropped the fear bomb on me being like, no, no, no. Like you don't want to not listen to what these people say, et cetera. And so I thought about it like to the most logical, the most logical way. And I was like, okay, if I just want to get home safely, like I should just do it. And so on the final day I was strapped up with two kilograms of drugs and put on the airplane with him. And we land back at Pearson and, you know, I'm just like a disaster. Like, I'm not good at this. And mm-hmm. just so sketchy, <laughs> just like the biggest sketch ball ever. And so obviously we get pulled into secondary customs and after a series of questions, um, which, you know, my, you're, you're kind of numb at this point. Right. Um, Cause I didn't even know who my identity was. Like he didn't tell me how I was supposed to know him and all these questions they were asking me, like, I didn't know the right answers to say. Cause he, right. I guess he thought this would never happen. Um, (laughs) yeah. So finally I just like, they told me I was going to have a body search and if I had drugs on me, I should tell them. And they asked me if I had drugs on me and I paused for like a good 10, 10 seconds. And they actually had to ask me again. And then I said, yes. Which I feel like is the most like normal thing to do. Like at this point, like, you know, you're already caught and like, what is the point of like making things harder for yourself? Yeah, is what my perspective would be on it, at least. (laughs) And like, I figured, like, I still didn't know, like, the extent of like, how serious this all was. So I thought I could just, you know, I I could just explain. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't think like, I didn't know, I didn't study the criminal code. I didn't, I didn't see myself as a criminal. So how was I supposed to know, like, the the risks of what I was actually doing? And the ramifications of those risks. And so I thought just being honest was like the safest option at this point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, without sabotaging the operation deliberately, like running around screaming and being all dramatic, because then it would be my fault. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, so I got arrested with him and he had them too and placed in a holding cell. And they, they actually had to call my parents and they're like, your daughter is, has been arrested for this crime. And my mom doing like the most privileged thing ever was at the cottage. <laughs> She's like, oh, I had to leave the cottage. <laughs> like, and then, but like, at least I had a mom that answered the phone and that would come get me, you know? And that mm-hmm. just like that first phone call was just the start of like this unconditional, you know, journey of love, uh, this journey of unconditional love, I guess. And that was the real, the real privilege that I saw and why I knew that following that day, things had to change. Um, I was subsequently put on house arrest because this crime that I'd committed was so serious. They didn't want me like living on my own anymore. I had to live at my mom's house. And so a lot, a lot of anger came out at that point. Um, you know, because you'd been basically lied to, you'd been betrayed. Someone had put your life and your family's life at risk and Mm -hmm. you'd basically been fooled and no one likes being fooled and taken advantage of. For sure. Yeah. But I also knew I had to take responsibility for for my actions and my and my lack of actions when it t- came to asking for help and in what I was going mm-hmm. through on a personal level. So after two and a half years on house arrest, so for a timeline, like the arrest was in July in 2015, it took okay. two and a half years to go through the courts um, and I put wow. in a guilty plea and then I was sentenced to four years in four years in prison. So um, the parole system works in the way that if you serve a, a, a six of your sentence, you can get out on day parole. And okay. as long as you're good, as long as you like, don't do any dumb shit in prison or like, you know, right. <laughs> don't do drugs. Or, and I knew that I was not going in there to do, to do anything like that. Like I, I was there to face it and face it with 2020 vision. Like, no, like there's no beer goggles happening for this. Like this is, you yeah. know, my own doing not a hundred percent, but you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't completely innocent. And so yeah, I went into prison uh, on January 16th, 2018. And I guess like 
yeah, that's like the first chapter. Wow. <laughs> or the that's tenth, really however cool. you want to. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever chapter it is. Um, well, that's like just I find that so interesting because obviously as like women, I feel like women obviously get put in these positions kind of more often um, where that, you know, they're, they're told one thing and another thing happens, but regardless, so you're in this prison and you have this kind of like idea. So how does this, how does comeback snacks kind of come about? Cause I know the ideation kind of came from your time um, in prison. So like, how, how did you kind of come up with this idea when you're kind of supposed to be, you know, uh, serving your time um and then you obviously decide to kind of use the best of it yeah so I always knew that I was creative and you know I I've definitely used my creativity for good or bad or my I've used my creativity to get out of things right um Mm -hmm. but this one I wanted to use my creativity to build something important and when I got to prison I knew that it it couldn't have just happened to me but I also knew that I wasn't gonna be able to live the rest of my life by living under a rock and pretending like this didn't exist because I, again, I was a terrible liar. I couldn't lie about what had happened. And I wanted to be Mm -hmm. able to like talk about this. Like that was, that would be a freedom to me. And I wasn't going to let the situation not let me have that freedom. For sure. And as I heard the other stories about, you know, women and how they got to prison, I learned that we all kind of had similar struggles, whether it was with substance abuse or addiction or, you know, bad relationships. Um, But we all wanted to, start fresh but we just needed like someone to believe in believe in us and mm-hmm. really see us as not as the other but as the same and for sure so when one thing that brought everyone together in prison was food and and snacks and so you know sometimes we'd have like I don't know like fried chicken night or we'd make like soup or chicken and then one night we were having like a little like gathering for the Super Bowl and we're making popcorn and snacks and popcorn mm-hmm. like was a different snack because it was healthier and because I'd had issues with food in the past, I didn't want my like disordered eating to come up in prison because again, there's like limited exercise, you know, you're under a lot of stress and for sure. And so yeah. I was like, maybe I can find a way to make popcorn more healthy instead of like putting butter on it, et cetera. And so I took some spices that we had in the kitchen. Cause we, in a women's federal institution in medium and minimum, you get to cook your own food. So you have access to like a limited number of ingredients and we okay. put on, yeah, we put on lemon pepper and dill and it was so good. And food brought so much joy to everyone, just like it does in, you know, outside prison, right? Like that's why people mm-hmm. go out for dinner. That, that's why they have family dinners and potlucks and all these things is because it, it brings joy and it helps yeah. people heal. And that's really what it did uh, to, to us in prison. And it made us kind of forget where we were. And you, you see it even now with COVID, like people are still going to their Christmas dinners because it, it, br- it brings them hope right yeah for sure anyway to to be together and remain together through food and and stuff like that so I thought of popcorn because a it was like relatively inexpensive to make popcorn like at a a very very like base level yeah and like the ingredients were were pretty cheap and popcorn is also someone that something that people already loved like I wasn't about to invent some brand new snack that no one ever heard of it was like you've got to take a common thing um and and combine it with maybe an uncommon message that has mm-hmm. common principles. And that's exactly what I, what I did. And so I wanted to create a popcorn business, not just to employ myself, um, to employ others and to, and to share the message and to encourage other organizations and, you know, businesses to do the same, because if we keep denying people work that have made these mistakes or gone through difficult times in their life, what does that really do 
like for mm. our society. Like that just costs us, actually costs us more. You know, it doesn't rehabilitate people if you're yeah. not going to give them a job. Uh, if, if anything, it's just going to probably send them back to crime or which then mm. we also pay for, or they're going to be on social, social assistance, which sure. also the taxpayers pay for. So there's like a social element to it. There's a, you know, a human element to it. And there's also an economic mm. element to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so. I obviously, as I mentioned, I've listened and read a lot of things, a lot of your stories. And um, so at Comeback Snacks, and I think you've obviously kind of just touched on it, you have something called an open hiring policy. So can you kind of obviously, you, like I said, you just touched on this, but can you kind of like explain what that means? Like open, uh, open in what way, I guess? Um, open in the sense that like we don't do criminal background checks and like if anything, okay. we use people's failures as a resume instead of something mm-hmm. that you hide. Because I think if you just talk about how good you are, you often tend to embellish things. And mm-hmm. that's why there's so much turnover in, in workplaces because, because people just pretend to be good at things that they're not just because they, they want to want a job. But if people mm-hmm. come into an organization, they're like, this is how I fuck or sorry, mess. <laughs> this is how I messed up. <laughs> um, yeah. and they're honest about that and they're open. Like that can actually create loyalty and a sense of belonging because we've all been there but yeah so we don't we don't like judge anyone and we encourage people to talk about their failures because yeah honesty and being able to share your your failures makes people want to remain with you yeah I think that's so important in any aspect of life too. just you know like not not trying to be someone that you're not not trying to like do stuff just to impress people like this is where I'm at and like you know what all my failures actually have made me a better person whatever they may be in most cases it makes people very resilient um, and very hardworking, maybe more honest than they would have been or more honest than the average person so I think that that's such a such a great touch point um not just obviously from like a PR standpoint but like that you're actually like executing that at your business yeah yeah exactly and we have the best team ever and my 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 like we get requests to come work with us every every day and so I knew that like as a business, you know, you know, you want to hire everyone, but in order to stay in business, you have to like manage your costs and your expenses. And so mm-hmm. that's when I knew that I had to do more and I had to do more um, work with employers and, and HR departments to try to encourage others to do the same because it's because it really, really does make sense. And um, just honesty is literally the best policy. So, and mm-hmm. if someone comes up to me and it's like, this is like how I failed, that's like, I'm like, that's awesome. You know, because that's when people are being their, their true self. And when people are their true self, that's when they know they actually want to work there and and they'll feel comfortable working there. And that's a truly safe work environment. For sure. Well, you sound like a great boss. Um, so I guess with all this being said, um, you're kind of like, I would say from my like personal opinion, um, you're kind of like over this hump now or over this hill. Um, you're really doing great things for yourself and obviously for your company. So what are like some really valuable lessons, I guess, that you took away from this time and like you kind of have given you this like new lease on life? I guess I could go over what I like to call like the comeback blueprints. Okay. And this is something that I thought, thought of as I've kind of gone along because, you know, in the beginning whenever we've done harm or been harmed, we spend so much time being angry and mad and that doesn't get us anywhere. And so in order to, you know, we often try to like place blame on others and that also doesn't, doesn't work. So if you're going to make a comeback in life, you have to like follow these kind of, I guess they're what, not nine steps. And the first one is commit. You have to commit to it. If you're say you're going to do it, do it. 
Um, you know, put the phone down, turn off the Instagram, like actually do it and don't blame technology for like why you can't, why you can't do it. Um, the second one is take, take ownership of what you did and, or what you didn't do in my case. And because when you own something, you can turn that into an asset, right? That's when you turn it into an asset if you own it. Um, have good morals. Do things because they are the right thing to do, not because you have like an agenda. Right. Um, you have to educate others. Honestly, helping and educating others is the best way to create what I call emotional profit, and that's money for the soul. So that's mm-hmm. why I also do like tons of talks. Um, you know, even just talking to you and helping share the message through different different platforms, like on podcasts. Yeah. Um, the second one is or the fifth one is believe and that's believe in yourself and the abilities of others. You have to be able to trust people and not micromanage, um, account accountability, you know, um, every step of the way you have to realize that every, every step you take is a step that you take. So, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's the wrong or the right one, that's, that's your step. Um, have courage, like go out and do it. Don't be afraid to quote unquote fail or make a misstep. Um, because that's why we have feet. It's so we can keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Kindness. Yeah. Be, be kind. Um, be kind to strangers. You know, we have so many, we're so quick to judge and you know, the world right now is like a, a cesspool of people hating people mm-hmm. on the internet who make like a comment they don't like or whatever. And it's like, what are we, why are we spending so much time hating on in a screen? And mm-hmm. that just doesn't really propel prosperity. Like, what do you and, get out of that? I don't get it. Yeah. Like the, like people are like, Oh, did you read the news? And I'm like, no, like I don't, <laughs> you know, there's only so much you, you can, you can really read. And like, there's mm-hmm. so much that doesn't actually impact our lives. And, and there is, there are, there is stuff that, that does. Um, and it's important to, you know, pick, run your own race, but pick what matters to you and, and stick with that and yeah. always, always be kind. Um, but also don't mm-hmm. be someone that that's walked all over as well. So it's not a fine line. It's often a staggered line, but Mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's common sure. like being kind but also having boundaries and sincerity like being sincere in, yeah. in your intentions because you know as I went through this experience I, I thought someone was sincere and they and they weren't so mm-hmm. yeah you have to like learn to observe and and see who's being sincere but also observe yourself and why are you really doing something so I'll just go over them one more time um comeback blueprint commit ownership, morals, educate, believe, accountability, courage, have kindness and be sincere. I love that. That's so good. And your descriptions for all of them, um, obviously are just so great. Uh, I think that that obviously entering a new year, people are readjusting and and myself included kind of their, their values and and what's pushing them forward. So I think that's, that's so great. I like that. Um, so I guess, as I do, I kind of start at the the beginning and now we're going to catch up with the present. So I obviously like to respect the past of the, obviously all the lessons that it's, it's held for you and on all of us, but um, like, let's look forward for what's to come. So what's on the horizon for you and, or comeback snacks. So comebacks, like the one thing I learned about comebacks is that just like mistakes, they are universal. So I want this message and this way of life uh, of taking accountability to be as many places as it, as it can possibly be. Um, mm. So right now we're looking at scaling the popcorn business throughout Canada. You know, even in the digital world right now, like I'm doing talks, like Zoom calls, like all over the world. I do consulting with families like that maybe have like a loved one that's going through the system because often the family is is victimized too, right? Like they're quasi victims mm. because they have to change their lives. And, 
you know, you know, it can be very traumatic for a parent, um, which I saw through my parents. So I like to help them. Um, I'm also publishing a book. It's going to be out in three months. It's called from convict to Comeback: how I turned my fuck ups into freedoms. Oh my God. That <laughs> is so exciting. I love books. I'm so excited. Yay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I have a docuseries coming out on bell. It's called, um, sleepers and we're actually filming it next week. So, oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. cool. And yeah. sorry, when did you say that's coming out or you don't know? The, the book or the docuseries? The docuseries. Um, it'll probably be in the spring, but definitely, okay. um, do you have, do you have me on social? Cause all I know, all, everything's kind yes. of. Yes. Yep. I do. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'll just share it. Um, that's so exciting. Good for you. Congrats. That's such yeah. a big year. Yeah. <laughs> <Already>. I know. <laughs> yeah. And like everything that I do, you just see how you're helping so many people, like even working with like, you know, the SPCA and like giving animals second chances. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like this story is actually so universal. Like there is no us and them. It's like humanity. Right. Yes. So and the more you boil it down to that, it's like, that's when you can truly help the most people. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And I'm just such an advocate for second chances because no matter what the second chance is, it's always just so important. Like anyone can make a mistake, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, uh, no matter how big or small it may be. Um, yeah, I, I totally think that that's so important. So it's been so great obviously interviewing you and talking to you. I always end my show with, um, rapid fire questions. Um, they're more like fun and like personal, uh, not personal, like deep personal, but, um, just like what you think. So, uh, we will get started with those. So my first one that I always ask is if you could hang with any five people, who would it be? Like dead or alive? Dead or alive, famous friends, (laughs) whoever. Celebrities. Um, <laughs> any five people. I would probably say Justin Trudeau, so I could get him to change some of the laws on mandatory minimums in the prison system. Mm, <laughs> good one. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I would love to hang out with Andrew Medal. He actually started one of his businesses from prison. We we are friends, but I haven't met him in person yet. I'm sure I will. Um oh, cool. he also okay. writes for like entrepreneur and stuff like that. So Mm. Kim Kim Kardashian because she does great work in the prison in the prison system and prison space. Oh yeah. Um, who, oh my! I've never really thought of this because like I usually just like figure out a way to meet them. So it's like, oh. Um, <laughs> well, I hope you do. Maybe this will manifest some stuff for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would also love to meet whoever is in charge of making you know, the rules for travel into the United States, because if you limit people's ability to travel after they've, you know, maybe committed a crime or something like if they're on the right track and they want to do good, like, I don't think there should be like so many limitations in place into getting into other countries. And I don't think it should be like on your record. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the USA department of <laughs> Homeland security, <laughs> <laughs> small ask. Yeah. And small ask. And I guess I would love to meet who else? Probably Havoc from Mob Deep because he's just my idol. And like okay. I listen to his music in, in, in prison and Mob Deep's my favorite group. Um, we, we I do talk to him, um, but I still do want to meet him in person. So. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully we're just like manifesting some stuff for you, just putting it out into the universe and then it'll just happen maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, obviously quarantine and COVID-19 has had a lot of uh, negative impacts and negative consequences, but what has been your favorite positive thing that's come out of the pandemic? 
Um, I think one of the most positive thing that has come out of the pandemic is I would say the amount of like collaboration that has happened. Like there's been a lot of bad, but there's also been a lot of learning mm-hmm. and people's desire to change and take action in things. Despite yes. our limited ability to take physical action, I've seen people do just doing tremendous work despite the limitations of actually going places and doing it. For sure. I totally agree. And I think obviously that goes to digital too. Like people just never thought that we could do as much as we can um, from our own homes. And I think that that's so powerful that you can just, you know, you can, you can really do amazing things at collaborating digitally as you can in person. Yes. Um, Okay. This is like a very um, you question. So what is your favorite flavor out of all the great flavors that Comeback Snacks has to offer? Um, my favorite flavor that we currently have is cheesy caramel. So that's just like a Chicago. Um, mm. But it's like if cheese and caramel had a, a love child, then it's all in one kernel. Because <laughs> you mm. take the sweet of the earth and you take the salty of the earth and you combine it and you make a really good, really good result. That sounds so good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I'll have to try that one. Um, and I think that's it for us today. Um, that is definitely all my questions that I have for you. So thank you so much, um, for coming, telling your story, chatting today. Uh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me and being patient with, the. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. And I'm so excited. Obviously huge reader cannot wait to read your book and obviously, um, waiting with bated breath on, uh, the docuseries as well. Awesome. Thanks so so much. Congrats. I'm Alia Ballas and you have been listening to Can't Hang. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much love goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social. Please tag me in your posts at Can't Hang Pod and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas, and the music was created by Quan. Quan.